And then we turn over from Ruth and we come into 1 Samuel and we see again another woman. In this, in this story, her name is Hannah. And again, she cannot give birth. She cannot have a baby. And we know every time from the story that we've looked at from beginning to end so far, whenever there's a woman that can't have a baby that is somehow impregnated, something amazing is about to happen. And that's the case for Samuel as well, the son of Hannah, the child committed, commended, dedicated to the Lord and turned over to his service. It's he that writes this book of the kings of Israel because now we turn into another chapter uh, for this nation. They go from one who had no king to now under the rule of King Saul where we find our story tonight. And I'm going to read chapter 17 almost in its entirety with leaving out some sections. So if you're reading along with me tonight, I'll tell you when we're going to jump, but make sure you're following because uh, otherwise you're going to wonder where I went without you. So with that, hear the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening, And then jump down to verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. And then skipping down to verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You're but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And down to verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And here we come to the battle, verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel 
And Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shuram as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To summarize, 3,000 years ago, this giant monster of a man named Goliath of Gath stepped forward and he defied, or as other translations say, he heaped shame upon the Israelite army. And they trembled with fear. All of them trembled with fear from the least to the greatest until this shepherd boy... David walked forward and he saw things a little bit differently than the rest of the army. And when he heard the giant, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. So he said to the king, let me fight him. Let me fight this man and I'll kill him. So he did. He took a few stones, he slung him, he shot him. The war was over. The Israelites won. And what David knew that the rest of the army had somehow forgot was what I'm going to call tonight a few fatal miscalculations or misunderstandings that Goliath had as he stepped forward to face the Israelite army. A few things that when Goliath was looking at the war in front of him that he just did not see correctly. But David did. And so he knew that the battle was won. So we're going to look together at these fatal miscalculations, these fatal misunderstandings, and see what it is that they teach us about Goliath, yes, about David, yes, and about us, yes, and about God. The first of these mistakes or miscalculations was the head of the Israelite army because verse 8 tells us if you have it open still verse 8 tells us that Goliath came forward and he screamed to the ranks of Israel why have you come to draw up for battle am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul did you hear his mistake his boast betrays his ignorance Because here comes this giant of a man stepping forward from the ranks and he says, are you not the army of Saul? To which he expects the answer to be yes. And we would expect it too until we come and read a little bit about what David has to say. Because he steps forward, David does, and he hears this boasting, he hears this screaming. And what does he say? But he says to the Israelite people, who is this man that he should defy the army of the Lord. This isn't Saul's army. This isn't just a human king that the Israelite people serve. The battle belongs to the Lord, the head of the Israelite army. And so when he hears that mistake and he hears the Philistine heap shame upon the armies. Of the living God, David steps forward and he asks, who does he think he is? Not who does Goliath think Goliath is. No, who does Goliath think God is? 
Because he's not like the Philistine gods who sit back in their camp in the tents just waiting and hoping for a favorable outcome. No, the the God of Israel is a living God. If you want to know who you're going to fight when you fight the people of Israel, you fight God himself. He's the head of the Israelite army. So who does Goliath think God is? Because he's not just waiting back there. No, he's here. He's at the battle. He's drawing up the lines. It's him that Goliath is heaping shame upon. A God who is actively involved in the struggles of his people. A God who is actively involved in the struggles of us, his people. He is a living God. His second misunderstanding is his decision to place his confidence in his own strength. You see, Goliath was a fighter. And so he says in verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And he said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Perhaps this is where the writer of Proverbs gets his inspiration when he says, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. Or if he rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Goliath's digging the pit. Goliath's rolling the stone. He is boasting in his own strength and in his own ability. And in so doing, he's digging his own grave because he's proud of his power and he overlooks his weakness. And he's so consumed with killing that he's about to be killed. And so we come to verse 45, and David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come in the name of the Lord of hosts that all this assembly may know, Israelites and Philistines alike, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You see, notice again the second fatal misunderstanding that Goliath comes up to the battle line, and he takes courage, he takes strength, he finds confidence in himself. And so he boasts and he comes face to face with one who stands across from him and is just the opposite. Not in courage, no, he's just as courageous. Not in confidence, no, David is just as confident. But it is in no way placed in David's self that he finds those things. You see, David draws to the line of battle, not with a sword or with a spear, but with the presence of the Lord of hosts. And it's with that that he enters into this battle against all odds. And he stands in the middle of a situation that all of us have found ourselves in, that we come up to this battle, we come up to this challenge, this struggle, and what we're facing looks a whole lot bigger than God does. 
It just looks bigger. It looks more tangible. It looks like you can hold on to it. And so we do. And we fear and we tremble and we worry. Because Goliath looks so big. Especially if he's just compared to you and I. So David doesn't look at him. He doesn't look at himself. He looks to the Lord. If we would have read one chapter earlier tonight, and I I wish we had time to do so. In chapter 16, we see Samuel come to Jesse's family to anoint the next king after Saul had been disobedient and turned away from the Lord. And Samuel comes to the family of Jesse and he looks at each of these sons, Eliab first. Oh, he looks great. Surely he's the one. Nope, the Lord says he's not the one. Abinadab, surely he's the one. Nope, not Abinadab. Shema, surely he's the one. Nope, not him either. And on and on it goes all the way until Samuel has to say, is there not anybody else in this family? And Jesse says, well, there's, there's one other, the youngest out in the field. Samuel says to call him, and and he comes in, and Samuel says, this is the Lord's anointed. And so he anoints him as the future king of Israel. And it says right in that text, because the Lord looks not at the things that man looks at, the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And so if we had read chapter 16, we would arrive at this and, and be thinking to ourselves, Wait a second, wait a second. There's an awful lot going on on the outside here that the Israelite people are looking at, right? Goliath is big, he's fierce, he's strong. There's not a larger narrative in all of Scripture about a fighting man than there is of Goliath. His appearance means everything to him, to the Philistines, to the Israelites. They're all looking at the outside except David, the Lord's anointed. Why? Because the Lord just chose him after all. So he knows. And here we come to the first test. In other words, chapter 17 is the first object lesson of chapter 16. Are we still looking at the outside? The answer for the Israelites was yes. Goliath's final flaw, his last miscalculation, as we're calling them, is that he thought his own strength could overcome the Lord's anointed. So if we turn to verse 50, we read, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And remember, Goliath had his sword and his javelin, right? We come to David. He prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David runs over and he draws Goliath's sword and he cuts off his head with it. He used the giant's own sword, his own strength, his own weapon to kill him. He used the Goliath's greatest strength to bring about his defeat. Because Goliath had thought that his strength could overcome the Lord's anointed. Yet David used 
his enemy's own weapon to finalize his defeat, which gets to the heart of the story. This is where we come to it because you and I often read a text like this. And I know the temptation for me is I want to be David. I want to be the overcomer. I want to be the one with courage like that, with strength like that, with a really great shot like that. I want all of that for me. And so I come to this text and I want to be David. But the truth of this story for you and I tonight is that we are not David. We just have to look at our own lives to know that there's so many things that overcome us. There's so many things that hold us down and hold us back. And if we want to find ourselves in the story of David and Goliath, we're somewhere in the Israelite ranks, standing off to the side, trembling with fear, in bondage to that which stands against us and looks so much bigger than us, so much stronger than us, more powerful than us. We're among the Israelites saying, what are we going to do? But the story was never about the Israelites. It was always about David, the son of Jesse, the Lord's anointed, the seed of Abraham who would come forth to lead the people Israel, God's chosen people, who would lead them into battle and deliver them. The only thing the Israelite people do in this whole story besides tremble with fear is get delivered by David and then rise up and shout and run after him. That's their whole role, to follow the deliverer, the one who conquered for them the one who stepped out from among them and delivered his people. You see, if we turn to Matthew 27, which we won't do tonight, we would see Jesus being led to the cross. And as he is led, so it tells us as just kind of this parenthetical note that he's led to this place called Golgotha. And then it translates it for us, the place of the skull. And if you're like me, you're thinking, that's a weird note and it's a weird name. I wonder why in the world there's a place in Jerusalem called the place of the skull. And commentators will give you lots of reasons and lots of ideas and lots of possibilities. They might be right. But when I read 1 Samuel 17 and I get to that note right towards the end... That says that David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. I'm thinking, that's the only head that I know of in Jerusalem. That's the only head that we know of in the Old Testament that's memorable. Goliaths. And it's laying there in Jerusalem. Perhaps when we read about Jesus coming up to the cross, to the place of the skull, and we read about that, when we read about Golgotha, could it be that there is a place in Jerusalem that's meant to remind the people of Israel of one who has come before, who has stepped forward and defeated the greatest enemy they had known in Goliath. There was one who had come before so that when you look at Golgotha, you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember that skull. I remember the deliverer. 
I remember the greatest king that has ever been on this throne. I remember the one who God sent to deliver us. I remember the one who brought the skull here. You see, what I think is when you come to Golgotha, it's by way of a reminder that God is the one who delivers through his anointed one. That God is the one who is faithful. That God is the one that will provide. So I'm hoping for the Israelite people as this is happening. And I'm hoping for us as we read texts like Matthew 27. When we read about Golgotha, we are thinking not about us as David. We're thinking about the faithfulness of God in raising up one who defeats even the greatest, the strongest, the most powerful, the scariest, the most oppressive things we could ever come against. You see, when we're thinking of Golgotha, we're not even thinking about David. You see, because when David walked up and he slayed Goliath, he went up to him and he drew his sword, the source of Goliath's strength, and he cut off his own head with it. Right? And then we come here to Matthew 27 and we see Christ come to the cross and he dies. Now, if we read the whole story and knew the whole picture, we would be thinking, wait, wait just one moment because the greatest weapon of the enemy, the greatest weapon of the evil one is death. And we see again a deliverer coming who overcomes the enemy with its own strength. David killed Goliath with its own sword. Christ defeated the evil one with death. Its own weapon. His own greatest strength. And so we proclaim as the Christian church has now done for nearly 2,000 years in this ancient hymn of the church, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And let them that hate him flee from before his face. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling death by death. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you're overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen and not one dead remains in the grave. For Christ, being risen from the dead, becomes the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and dominion both now and forevermore. So friends, in the very worst of times, in the scariest of moments, you no longer have to be afraid. You no longer have to get yourself out of bed in the morning and pull up your bootstraps and buckle down and overcome. It's already been overcome. Christ who is for us has gone before us. He has defeated the enemy. And just as the Israelites did, so too do we. We just need to follow. Goliath was a fighter. 
David was a follower. That made all the difference in the world. Let's pray together. God, we do pray that that would be true. Yet it is just so hard when we come against these challenges either to fight or to run away when there is a better way to stand behind you, God, in your finished work on the cross. God, how unthinkable, how unimaginable that you would overcome death by dying. How unthinkable that we would overcome sin and darkness and struggle in our own lives by laying it down. So God, we just give you the praise, we give you the glory Make a way for us, we pray. And when we are through it, Lord, I pray that we would turn as David did and say, God, it's all been you. So we magnify your name tonight. We thank you and we love you so, so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.